This podcast is brought to you by Proton Dealership IT, the cybersecurity and IT experts committed to keeping your dealership safe from cyber attacks. To learn more about how to better protect your dealership, go to info.protontex.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O dot P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, October 26th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. We're coming to you from the Automotive News Retail Forum at the Four Seasons in Chicago. Today on the show, the UAW and Ford reach a tentative deal. On day 40 of the stand-up strike, we reached a historic agreement. Meanwhile, Stellantis makes a big move to boost its presence in China and VinFast recruits dozens of dealers to sell its EVs. Plus, we'll dig deeper into the UAW's tentative agreement with Ford and what it means for General Motors and Stellantis. There's going to have to be a pattern in the agreements to a large extent. GM and Stellantis are going to be forced to have to match the 25% wage increase, the three-year progression, a lot of what Ford's doing with temps. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The UAW is ending its 41-day strike against Ford after reaching a tentative agreement late Wednesday. The deal would give workers immediate 11% raises. UAW President Sean Fain announced the deal late Wednesday night. For months, we've said that record profits mean record contracts. And UAW family, our stand-up strike has delivered. Fain made the announcement along with UAW Ford Vice President Chuck Browning. Thanks to the power of our members on the picket line and the threat of more strikes to come, we have won the most lucrative agreement per member since Walter Ruther was president. The union's 57,000 members at Ford will still have to ratify the agreement. It includes raises totaling 25% over the next four years, a reinstatement of cost-of-living adjustments, and a three-year path to top wages. Ford said in a statement, we are pleased to have reached a tentative agreement on a new labor contract with the UAW covering our U.S. operations. Stick around for more on the UAW's tentative agreement with Ford with our own Michael Martinez. As Stellantis works to reach its own tentative agreement with the UAW here at home, it's also moving to grow its presence in the world's largest market. The automaker is buying a 21% stake in Leap Motor, for more than $1.5 billion. The move by Stellantis marks a reset in its China strategy to focus on electric vehicles. That's after years of poor sales in the world's biggest auto market. Stellantis and Leap Motor will also set up a Dutch-based joint venture. Stellantis will own a 51% stake, giving it exclusive rights for the export, sale, and manufacturing of Leap Motor's products outside China. The deal follows a Volkswagen Xpeng tie-up announced in July. It heralds a new era of automotive alliances in China and reflects how the country is emerging as a global center of EV technology. Vietnamese EV startup VinFast has received applications from 27 dealers in a dozen U.S. states to sell its electric vehicles. It's creating a hybrid approach to its sales strategy, adding third-party retailers to its direct sales approach. VinFast says that model will allow it to expand to substantially more states than factory direct sales alone. 
The company has been selling its VF8 crossover in California since early this year. VinFast did not say in the filing how many total U.S. dealers or sales points it wants for its retail network. Sonic Automotive's net income dropped in the third quarter. That's amid lower average gross profits and a continued loss for its Echo Park used vehicle-only brand. Sonic's net income slipped 22% from a year earlier to about $68 million. The auto retailer's revenue increased more than 5.5% to $3.6 billion. That's a third quarter record. And Toyota Motor North America has turned to a longtime executive to lead its marketing efforts for its namesake brand. The company has promoted 52-year-old Michael Tripp to Group Vice President of Toyota Division Marketing, Tripp was most recently Vice President of Vehicle Marketing and Communications. He succeeds Lisa Matarazzo, who left the company in September, to become CMO for Ford. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Ford and the UAW have a tentative agreement. Did Sean Fain's use of live streaming actually work? You know, we'll have to see if the deal gets ratified. Presumably it will. And if that's the case, I mean, then yes, absolutely. You know, we have to remember Sean Fain was the first UAW president in decades to be directly elected by members. He won a very narrow election with very low voter turnout. The upshot of that is he came into power with you know, no base, no mandate, and no machine. He used social media and the live streaming and, you know, frankly, some antics uh, that I think some folks at the automakers were frustrated by, but he needed to do that to give himself the credibility and to show the workers he was fighting for them and just to give them some idea of who he was. He's turned himself into a kind of a superstar in the labor movement, and now he's got a record deal. Interesting stuff. Coming up, We'll talk more about the historic tentative deal between Ford and the UAW with our own Michael Martinez. That's next on Daily Drive. Email phishing happens every day. Cyber criminals are out to trick your employees and coworkers into handing over valuable information that can compromise your dealership through impersonations, fake giveaways, and urgent emergency requests. All it takes is one click to shut down everything. Phishing is the leading cybersecurity concern for dealerships. Without the proper training and protection, your business is left vulnerable to ever-evolving attacks. One day you click an email, and the next thing you know, you get a call from your IT guy. Your email has been compromised. Shut down immediately. Stories of attacks and their consequences come flooding in every day. And all it takes is one click to shut down your dealership. You have enough to worry about as it is. Don't add getting hacked to the list. Let Proton Dealership IT help ensure you are fully protected and learn how at info.protontext.com slash fish. That's I-N-F-O dot P-R-O-T-O-N-T-E-C-H-S dot com slash P-H-I-S-H. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy, no more excuses, no more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. 
Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. General Motors, we believe in an all-electric future. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. The UAW's tentative agreement with Ford marks a historic turning point for the U.S. auto industry. That's according to our own Michael Martinez, who says few, if any, stakeholders or analysts could have predicted at the start of this process that the UAW would have such a lucrative deal to vote on from one of the Detroit Three. Michael covers the UAW and Ford for us at Automotive News. Our own Jake Neer reached him at his home office in Detroit. Michael Martinez, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we haven't seen all the details yet of this tentative agreement between the UAW and Ford, but what do we know at this point? We know it's historic. We know this is something that, if it's ratified, is really going to change the lives of tens of thousands of workers at Ford. UAW President Sean Fain said last night that there is more money in this deal just in straight general wage increases over the next four and a half years than the union was able to win over the past 22 years. That's two decades. This is huge. They've won back cost of living. They've reduced the wage progression from eight years to three years. And they've really killed the last vestiges of the Great Recession and the concessions that have sort of dogged the union for years through at least three contract cycles here. Those are now finally gone. The era of concessions is over. And this is now the union making significant gains to give workers better wages that match inflation and really represent significant gains. Pretty much everything that you could get that is reasonable, right? You know, uh, we're not going back to pensions, obviously, but it's if you could imagine what was a likely outcome of this, I mean, it seems like this is just about as good as anyone could have hoped for. This has to be the best case scenario. I don't think anybody would have expected what they got at the beginning of this. I know, honestly, I certainly didn't. None of the experts I talked with believed it, and the companies didn't believe it. They were pretty firm that they couldn't do COLA plus profit sharing. They're doing COLA and profit sharing, at least at Ford, and, and the others have put it on the table as well. They said they couldn't do pensions, but they did significantly boost 401k plans. We know the company contribution has been at about six and a half percent. It's going to around nine percent. That's kind of what was on the table, at least before this deal was announced. They're boosting the pensions for workers who have been there prior to 2007. So there's a lot in this contract. And I think you do have to credit the aggressive push by Sean Fain and the union leadership. It wasn't pretty. Certainly, we talked plenty of times on this podcast about how upset the automakers were by some of his tactics, but at the end of the day, it worked. He got what most of what he wanted. 
I, I guess we should frame the you know best possible deal from the UAW side. Now for automakers, though, for Ford specifically, is there concern about what this contract could mean for them economically if it's ratified? Well, I think there definitely is. You heard Bill Ford talking to the New York Times just a few weeks ago saying they could barely survive with the offer that was on the table now. Now, I don't know if that was just hyperbole or just bluster to try to not have to go up much higher. I don't know what barely survive means. If they're making billions already, is does that just knock off one or two billion? Does that mean they're a break-even company? I don't know. We're going to have to see that in the future. But I think it certainly puts pressure on them in terms of their future investments, in terms of electrification specifically. These guys and the other automakers are investing significant amounts of money. And right now it's not paying off, right? They're losing money on every EV they sell. And they're supposed to lose money in the near term before turning a profit a few years down the road. The fact that they're going to have higher labor costs moving forward means those bets on EVs really are going to have to pay off. Even things like subscription services that Ford and others have said will help generate additional profits. They really have to be sure that they're going to get those profits because they're going to have to invest more in their workforce now. So one thing that Sean Fain touted specifically last night was the ability to strike over plant closures. We, we haven't talked a whole lot about that yet on the podcast. How big of a deal is that for the UAW and for automakers like Ford? It's huge because if you're the union and you sign a four-year contract, sometimes economics change over the course of that four years and they really don't have much of a recourse if the companies are forced to, or at least they claim to be forced to, have to close a plant. They can't really do anything about it. It would have to be the subject of the next round of bargaining talks. Well, now they can protest through a strike if Ford says it needs to close a plant. Now, it seems to me that this was maybe an easy thing for Ford to agree to, especially in this upcoming contract cycle, because they've already said they're willing to invest in every single plant they have in the US and allocate product to every single plant they have in the US. So that means they're not planning to close any plants over the next four, four and a half years. So this was probably an easy give for them. I'm not so sure that's going to be the case at Stellantis in GM. And I think we could see that as one of the major hangups as we move to try to get a tentative agreement with those two. And that goes right into my next question, which is, what kind of pattern does this set? I mean, Sean Fain's strategy is very different this time around, going after all three automakers at once. So what can we expect from GM and Stellantis in terms of the pattern that's set here, uh, especially considering those kinds of provisions where it might have been easier for Ford to give up something like uh, striking plant closures is it a big deal for the UAW to be able to get that with Ford, which puts a little bit more pressure on the other automakers? Definitely. I think for all this talk that Sean Fain said about not doing the traditional pattern bargaining type approach, that was more so about the specific approach where you would only negotiate with one company and then the other two would sit back until you had a deal. There's going to have to be a pattern in the agreements to a large extent. GM and Stellantis are going to be forced to have to match the 25% wage increase, the three-year progression, a lot of what Ford's doing with temps and ending tiers, things like that. So these deals are going to largely be the same. Every contract is slightly different between the three companies because they're three 
unique companies with distinct characteristics that, that may not carry over to the other two. But I think moving forward, as we wait on TAs for GM and Stellantis, you really have to watch the temp situation because coming into this, Ford had used significantly fewer temporary workers and they had a pretty good deal. They would be automatically converted after two years. That wasn't necessarily the case specifically in terms of the number they're using at the other companies. They use a higher percentage of temps. So I'm not sure they're going to be willing to convert as quickly as Ford is offering and give them as high wages as Ford is offering. Another thing too, you have to watch out specifically for Stellantis is with Belvedere assembly. That's a problem that the other two don't currently have. They don't have a closed plant that the union's trying to reopen. Now we know that Stellantis has offered a solution for Belvedere earlier on in these negotiations. I would have to assume they're going to need to do that if any deal is reached. I also find this really interesting with Sean Fain's strategy here, uh, as he noted last night, sending Ford workers back to work is a way to put pressure on Stellantis and GM now. Up until this point, it's all been about walking off the job. Now they have a way to increase their leverage by getting one of the three companies back to capacity while the other two sort of suffer the consequences of the strike. I mean, it just seems like it's that's an interesting aspect of uh, this different approach this year that they can actually up the pressure by putting their people back to work. Yeah. If you remember in 2019, the union kept workers at GM on the picket lines until the deal was ratified. So that was an extra nine days of a strike. And I think this is probably the most significant part of Wednesday night's announcement is that they were immediately called off the picket line. It's going to take weeks to restart, get back to full production. We should be clear about that. But it gives GM and Stellantis a lot of incentive to get a deal done now. If that wasn't the case, if Ford workers were still on strike, you could argue that the other two companies might be fine with just sitting back and waiting to see how Ford workers voted. If they turn down the deal, of course, GM and Stellantis aren't going to agree to it. So why come to a TA earlier? But now with the prospect of the fact that this strike could be over as soon as they agree to what the union wants... That's going to give them a lot of incentive to do this. So now this goes to Ford workers to ratify or not ratify. Here's what Sean Fain had to say to them last night during the announcement. We send this contract to you because we know it breaks records. We know it will change lives. But what happens next is up to you all. Mike, how confident do you think the UAW should be that members will approve this deal? Very confident. I know there's some chatter on Facebook forums and things of that nature of workers saying they're, they're going to vote no. Some workers always vote no, no matter what it is on that first round, because they feel they could get even more the second go around. But this checks most of the boxes that Sean Fain set out to check at the beginning of this. These raises are historic. The benefits are significant. They would immediately impact workers. Things like that 25% raise, 11% of it is upon ratification. That's a big jump. So some of the workers I've spoken with, very small sample size, non-scientific survey, but they're saying they're leaning yes. They'd like to see the details still. Hmm. But I think there's a good chance that 50% plus one more worker will vote yes on this. 
Michael Martinez covers the UAW and Ford for us at Automotive News. Mike, thanks so much again for joining us. Really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day as you continue to cover this really important story. Thanks, Jake. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, as well as our own Lawrence Iliff, Julie Walker, and Larry Valquette for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on UAW contract talks, retail, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.